When I was in high school and in university, one of my passions was to be an all-American distance runner. At one point, when I was 21 years old, I ran three times a day, oftentimes running about 24 kilometers a day. And I found that I worked the rest of my day around my running. I ate to feed my running. I slept in order to rest for running. I worked so that I could make money doing some things to support Robin and me so that I could run. It was absolutely my passion. And the question this morning is, do you have a passion that dominates you like that? My guess is that some of you do. I don't know what it would be. It could be that you, that you hide your passion from me so that I don't know what it is. That's a, that's a possibility. It could be that you wear your passion out there for everybody to see and we all know exactly what it is. My impression of John Casella is that his passion is to do some acting, to do something in the area of film. And so he has studied film, he's done lots of things for us. It seems to be, in some sense, for him, a passion. Now, I happen to know that John also does some machining. He supports himself oftentimes by machining. Sometimes he buys cars and he resells those cars. I don't think that machining and selling cars is his passion. Am I right, John? I think that acting might be. Using that beautiful voice that God has given him. I've always, every time I hear John Casella speak, I think that guy was made for radio. Now, maybe that's not his passion, but he was made for radio. When you look at him, you know it was radio for which he was made. Well, when I was 35, I would have to say that my most obvious passion changed. What I wanted when I was 35 years old was no longer to be a world-class runner. What I wanted when I was 35 was to be the very best husband and father that I could be. By that time, Robin and I had three kids. And the fact is, we made the majority of our decisions based on what was happening with those three kids and what was best for them. Although we couldn't really afford it, we sent them to Christian schools. Several times a week, we took in various practices. We had them in various kinds of lessons. We ran them to and fro from friends' houses. We bought them all kinds of things that we thought would make their lives happy. And we did such things for about 20 years because of the age range of our kids. So we spent about 20 years basically focused on our kids and what we thought would make them do well and make them happy and productive and give them good lives. And it was definitely a passion. There's a sense in which, and those of you who are parents who have grown children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a sense in which that's still the case. You still love your kids with this intense passion. 
you still want wonderful things to happen for them. You just don't have as much opportunity, perhaps, to focus on them all the time the way that you used to. But there was a time there when that was like all we focused on. I went for a stretch of about 12 years where every day I took some kid to school or picked them up from school during the school year. For 12 years, basically every day. Now, it would have been longer, except that for a period of time there, we actually had a school in the church building where I was working, and we didn't have to make special trips to take the kids to school, and Robin was working at the school, and so I saw my family every day, all day. It was wonderful. So some years that happened. But for about 12 years still, there was a period when I was taking kids to school every day and usually picking them up. On Wednesday nights, when our kids were little, we spent every Wednesday night down at the church building doing a program called Royal Heirs. And you know, we don't have Wednesday night church anymore. But we did back then. And we spent a lot of time on it. A lot of focus. It took our attention and time because somebody had to teach all those kids. Somebody had to prepare all those lessons. And so we got together as families and it was our passion to do so. And life was incredibly busy. But because it was our passion... We did it, we did it gladly, and we loved it. And in fact, when I look back on those days, I say to myself often, man, I would do those days all over again. And there isn't much I would change. It was just so wonderful to be a young father, raising your kids, and to be absolutely passionate about it. Well, what is it that is your passion? Do you have one? Do you have something that absolutely drives you? I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. It's on page 830 if you're looking at a pew Bible, or at least most pew Bibles. We're, we're going to think here about doing something with our pew Bibles. Some, they're looking a little shabby, getting a little old. We're, we're, uh, there's less of them than there used to be, which is good. That means people are stealing Bibles from the church, which I think is a, a really good thing. So if people, are, <coughs> if people are stealing Bibles, good on you. But we're going we're gonna to have to replace some pew Bibles, and we're having a little trouble finding uh, ones that are exactly like the ones we have, so that when I stand up on Sunday morning, I'm going to have to say, if it's blue, turn to page 830, and if it's green, turn to page 922, and if it's purple, turn it to whatever. We'll see how that goes. But for this morning, it's 830. And I just want to ask the question about the passion that is there for the Apostle Paul. When Paul writes this, Paul is in jail. This is one of those prison epistles that we talk about. And you'd think that being in jail would be the thing that would be on his mind more than anything else. Like, get me out of here! And it's not. Amazingly so, it's not. Look at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what's his priority? He tells you right there what his passion is. The guy is in prison, but what he's excited about is that his imprisonment has done something to further the gospel. Look at verse 13. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. 
And so he's excited about the good news of Jesus. He's excited about everyone coming to know who Christ is. And he really doesn't care about whether or not at this point he's in prison. Look at verse 14. Because, <laughs> excuse me. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So he's concerned about the advance of the gospel. He's concerned about people coming to know Christ. He's concerned about the fact that the church is being enabled by his example to preach boldly about who God is, about what Jesus has done, the word of God. And that's what he's thinking about when he's in prison. Like seriously, is that what you would be thinking about? Is that what would be on your minds as you're reflecting on being in prison? The preaching of the gospel? And you'd be thinking to yourself, the most important thing that could happen right now in my life is not that I would get out of prison, but that other people would come to know Jesus Christ. That's amazing to me. That's a passion. Now look at verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, Paul says, I rejoice. Now, I don't know if those words, you know, we read these kinds of words in Scripture all the time. We're so used to Paul being the person that he was. I think some of the impact is just lost on us. But just think about what is going on here. The man is in prison for the sake of the gospel. While he's there, there are others who are apparently Christians, apparently known to him, apparently in the church, and you'd think then would be his brothers and his sisters who love him. But their goal at this point is not exactly the same as his because what they want more than anything else is to stir up trouble for Paul and somehow bring notoriety to themselves. Well, I don't know exactly what's going on here. You know, you and I, we see um, television preachers. And when I see television preachers, I don't actually think to myself, well, the biggest concern for them right now is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead, it seems to me that most of the time, their biggest concern is how much money they might get through preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That seems to be their biggest concern. And it's easy for me to sit and watch on them on television and to be at least mildly annoyed, bothered. So I know that there are people out there who try and do something to maybe bring some kind of notoriety to themselves, they, they preach for their own promotion. They want to be somebody. They want to have glory for themselves rather than just glory for Christ. I know that those people exist out there now. It appears as though they used to exist then. And you'd think that I would have, in some way, a heart like Paul, but I, a lot of times I don't. What is Paul's attitude toward those who are preaching in such a way that really cause Paul problems 
and really are motivated out of self-promotion. He says at the end here that he rejoices. He's thrilled about that kind of preaching going on, which really strikes me as being, in one sense, almost odd. How could this be? He has the status of an apostle. He should be receiving compliments, maybe even adulation. People should be thinking very positively about Paul not trying to destroy his ministry. This reminds me of 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about how there are those almost super apostles as they refer to themselves in the church in Corinth. And they are so wanting position and power within the church that they just keep putting Paul's ministry down and talking about what a poor speaker he is. And he doesn't, he doesn't talk like a, a rhetorician. He doesn't really talk in any kind of authoritative way. And there apparently are those same kinds of people mocking Paul, perhaps, while he's in prison because of his imprisonment, saying, what kind of example is it for him to be in prison? We have a criminal who is somehow a leader within the church. And then Paul has this amazing attitude. It's like he doesn't care. His status means nothing to him. The preaching of Christ means everything. And as long as those who are casting doubt on Paul's ministry are actually preaching Christ, he just doesn't care about himself. He actually rejoices in what they're bringing upon him as long as Jesus is preached. You know, there's this old line that we sometimes hear. It's amazing how much you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. And there's some real truth to that. Here, I think we could add to it. We could say it's amazing how much the church can get accomplished when all our passions turn to Christ rather than to our own desires. Like what would happen to the church of Jesus Christ if all of a sudden we were all as passionate as Paul? What if we were all just as thrilled with the gospel being proclaimed and preached in whatever way it goes out? What if we were all just as excited about that as Paul is? Well, you just can't think that the church wouldn't be dramatically changed. Sometimes we need to just rejoice and be blessed by what's going on. Even maybe when things aren't necessarily going our way. But as long as the good is being done for the sake of the kingdom, even if our way isn't being done, that's a good thing and we need to stand behind that. And I remember, you, you guys do too, many of you, remember how just a few years ago we made the decision to go from being an a cappella church to a church that has instruments in our worship. And for, for those of you who don't know background, the background of the Churches of Christ, we have been forever a cappella without instruments on Sunday morning. And you can imagine, it's like, it's like bringing in a full band to a church that has nothing like that. Or maybe a church has just had one piano or one organ for their entirety of their existence for maybe 200 years, and all of a sudden, somebody wants to bring in a rock band on Sunday morning. That disturbs some of the brethren. And so we made this decision 
to implement instrumental worship on Sunday mornings in this service. And I'm not going to say that there weren't people who said, you know, I don't really like that. I'm not going to say that there weren't people who were upset. But here's what impresses me. There were a group of people who said, eh, I don't necessarily agree with that. That's not necessarily my style. But they didn't go anywhere. They didn't continue to cause problems. They didn't create grief. They just remained the unified body of Christ and recognized that if something positive was going to come through this, if people were going to be blessed and nurtured and ministered to by this service, then praise the Lord. Because their will and their desire about what might happen in terms of the style of worship was not their number one priority. It's the gospel of Christ that is our number one priority. And it was apparently important enough that they would say, we need to stay a unified church. And I'm just so blessed and so pleased and so impressed that they did. Well, good on us as a church family when we set aside what we desire for the good of others. I think that's so much of what it means to be Christian. Glad we did that. Now I want you to look at verse 18. The second half of it. Paul has just said he rejoices. Even though he's in prison. And even though people are saying negative things about his ministry. He rejoices that at least Christ is preached. And then he says. Yes and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers. And the help given by the spirit of Jesus Christ. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I want you to notice this. When Paul says. I rejoice because I'm confident that this is going to turn out for my deliverance. He doesn't actually mean that. And what I mean is, his first priority and his rejoicing is not about getting out of prison. Read the rest of this with me. me. Look at this. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. He's not absolutely clear on what he wants to do, where he wants to go. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will be overflow on account of me. What's his real concern? Like when he says in in the middle of verse 18, or, the, or and then in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, and therefore I rejoice. He's not rejoicing because he may get released. He's not saying, oh, I'm going to get out of prison, and because of that I rejoice. What he's rejoicing about is that whether it's through his life or his death, Paul is going to minister to those who need his ministering. He says, I, can't, I, I think I'm going to stay here. 
I'm going to have a chance to remain alive so that I can minister, so that I can be a blessing to you, so that you can grow, so that we together can do what God needs us to do in the kingdom. His first priority, again, is not getting out of prison. His first priority is to ask the question, what can I do for Christ? And if what I can do for Christ happens best through me getting out of prison, then I rejoice that I can get out of prison and do what God needs me to do. But he's not very concerned about just getting out of prison in and for itself. He only wants to remain alive because of the blessing that he knows he is to the church. That's startling. He would rather die. He would rather go and be with Christ. He says, that's better by far. But I'm willing to stay around here. I'm willing to get out of prison if I have to. Simply because he wants to serve the church. I was talking this week with someone about retirement plans. And he's at an age where he could retire or he could just keep working. But as we talked about it, because I'm not there yet, but I'm rapidly heading there. And one of these days, I'm going to have to ask those serious questions about retirement and what this means for my life. So he and I were talking about this, and we basically concluded that neither one of us wants to retire. He does want to retire from what he does for a living. But if retirement means going and living a life of leisure. He's not interested. And I'm not sure I am either. I'm kind of like, you know, the Masters is going on right now. What do professional golfers do when they retire? They do what all the rest of us want to do. They go play golf. And then I think that's where I kind of want to be. Not on the golf course, but I'm really not looking forward to retiring from what I do now. There is something that calls me here to just continue to do what I'm doing in terms of working for the Lord. Paul's life was for him simply the proclamation of the gospel and the ministry in the church. And can you imagine Paul saying at some point, well, I think I'm going to retire. I'm going to hang it up. I'm going, to, I'm going to take the whole tent-making tent thing seriously, and I'm just going to go make some tents for a while for fun. That's not on his mind. He is not looking for an opportunity to get out of this. He instead wants to stay in it and continue to minister. And retirement is simply not on his mind, at least not with reference to the gospel. Now, you might think to yourself, well, that's just for the preacher types, or that's just for the apostle types, or that's just for those people who, you know, they're, they're into this, but, you know, what I'm looking forward to is the leisure. I do want to go play golf every day. Well, I kind of get that. But Paul doesn't say that this is just for him. In fact, I want you to look at verse 27. Here's what Paul says about it. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. What did he just say? I think Paul just said, I want you to have this attitude that I have. That I want you to approach this thing called life the way that I do. And that there may well be challenges that will come your way. In fact, he talks specifically about how he wants them to not be timid. He wants them to stand firm as one people essentially against the suffering that's coming their way because they're about to be persecuted. And says, this is not for apostles only, but it's for all. And so here's what Paul wants. He wants this to be their passion. It's not just for him. It's for all of us to have this kind of passion. You know, I loved last week's potluck. It was a great potluck. There was some really good food. If you didn't have a chance to have Veronica's stew, Veronica, your stew was amazing. I was so disappointed when I, when I got here on Monday morning and they told me that you had taken the rest of it home because I was ready to have it for lunch. It was great. And so I loved last week, but in a sense, there was something way bigger than just a potluck that happened. It was so much larger than that. You know, we had about 37 countries that were represented here, 37 different cultures and backgrounds. And yes, we shared food together, But what we really shared was our common devotion in Christ. And we're here today because we have a common devotion to who Jesus is as Lord. You know, you gave up Sunday morning today to be here because of your commitment to Jesus. You did it for the sake of the unity of of the commitment we share together in Christ. We gave up Sunday morning this morning so that we could be doing this when we could be out doing other things. Because we know that when two or three people gather together in the name of Jesus Christ, that Christ is here in our midst. We know that we're proclaiming Christ this morning when we share together the supper and we worship and we sing and we read his word. Something significant is happening. We share our prayers together. We share together our praise. And I think that for all of us, that's because there's something profound going on in our hearts. Like you're not just here because, most of us anyway, our parents made us be here. We're here because of a common passion, a common orientation 
to who Jesus is. We direct our lives and our attention there. And it causes us week after week after week to at the very least give up this time for him. Because of how passionate we are about who Jesus is. Now earlier I asked you the question, is there anything that dominates you? We go back to the question. Do you have a passion that dominates you? And I want to ask the question again, and we'll finish with this. We ask the question because there is only one right answer. And I hope that as you leave here today, that you think seriously about what your passion is. And that your devotion to Christ, your devotion to the gospel, your care about that word of God going into the world through you and impacting the lives of those around you. It is not just for Paul. It's not just for Jonathan. It's for all of us to have this passion in Christ. And I hope that you do. Let's pray. Lord, when I see Paul's example of absolute sold-out devotion to you, I'm so challenged. Father, I pray that you'd help us to have that kind of of passionate devotion to the good news about Jesus. And I pray that everyone around us is impacted by that passion in us. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.